All right, well, let's begin in Acts chapter 1. We're actually going to do a lot of reading, and, uh, and I'm not going to do as much um, expositionals tonight because of our, our goal is to see what Scripture says about the last days and what they'll look like. But we will start in Acts chapter 1. Looking at verse 9, now we know at this time the 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 disciples have assembled together and, and they've been told not to not to depart from Jerusalem but to wait and so they're there and we see in verse 9 Jesus has as, as I mentioned they've he's spoken to them he told them about actually this empowering this infilling this indwelling work of the spirit that would happen in their life there in verse 8 that they'd received the power from the father and then in verse 9 now when he had spoken these things while they watched he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. I try to, in some ways, with the constraints of Scripture, but with an individual imagination, I try to create the scenario. Have you ever done that? So you're tr- here they are. They're like, and it says that when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Was it fast? Was it slow? Was it medium speed? They're like talking to him, and like, it didn't happen all at once. But it left him doing what? And I'm, I'm assuming these angels are like, what are you looking at? You know, I don't know if they're standing beside him or what. I have to wonder about this scenario, how this unfolds. But notice what they said. What are, you, what are you staring up into heaven for? In the same manner you just see him physically, bodily ascend, he will return with this in, in, in a bodily fashion. And so he had already told them that. They were aware of it. And now you can, see, you can see why you'd stand there. You know, I'm sure they're looking. I'm sure they're listening. And I'm most positive it was one of these moments. Because what else could you do? How else would you handle it? And then you're like, and then they, they're interrupted. Men of Galilee, why do you stand guys up into the, the same Jesus, the only Jesus, there is only one, regardless of what the cults and all the others come up with, these other spirit brother of Lucifer and all this other silliness. There's only one Jesus, and he will return. So with that, realizing that, you know, um, from this moment right here to the present day, Jesus' disciples have been longing for his return. And, and, and the common theme or the teaching that happened prior to here, and it is supported even in the letters in the rest of the New Testament, But the common theme, the common teaching from Jesus to his disciples concerning his return was watch, be ready. What do we watch for? Good question, right? So what should we be watching for? What should we be looking for? Let's go together to Matthew 24. Matthew 24. Beginning in verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 14, and then we'll kind of, kind of come back and you know, take a look at a few things. But it says in Matthew 24, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. They were enamored. They were fascinated by this, this structure, this, oh, this amazing architecture, this phenomenal building. And they seen it as a reference point, you know, to relate to God. And Jesus said, it's all going to come down. In, in 70 AD, the uh, Roman general, I guess he was, um, Titus, you know, they, they basically tore Jerusalem apart. They started a fire. You may know that in the temple. This fire got started. And so then, because all the gold inlay in the temple, well, 
when that, the fire gets going, all that starts melting and running down. And so now, in an attempt to cash in, the Roman soldiers are basically turning every stone over, knocking everything down because they're going to get this molten uh, gold. Not stone, one stone shall be left upon another. There's actually a, Jesus speaking prophetically what would happen in, in just a few short decades. Well, let's continue on. Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. So they're coming to him and they're going to say, when's all this going to, shake down when's this all going to come about and jesus is going to give here in matthew 24 and we'll look in luke 17 he's going to give us some highlights he's going to tell us some things that are going to unfold i believe to a degree he's capsulizing this end time chronology um the time prior to the rapture of the church the rapture of the church and then the time of his third return (laughs) second room return is the one we're looking for when he comes for his church and then he'll return again according to scripture in the end of the last day at the very end after the the great tribulation period he'll come with his church so though it's all kind of capsulized in this and it's really fascinating because it's we would we would have done it different we would have said it different agreed we would have outlined it. We'd have put the date down. We'd have said, okay, then this will happen. And 14 days after that, this day. And 90 days after that. And then that's just how Western civilization generally orients literature. But the Lord's just saying, listen, this is how it's going to unfold. This is the things to be aware of. They wanted to know what to look for. And he said, many will come in my name saying, I'm the Christ. Has that happened? It happened like regularly right after his his after the resurrection and his ascension, and it continues even to our day. There's still people. I think uh, what was it? Was it the Branch Davidian? David Koresh. He he declared himself to be the Messiah. Um, Jim Jones was another one that comes to mind that likewise claimed to be the Savior. <laughs> I'm going to bug some people with this one, but. Trump's not far from it. Ooh, did he say that? Yeah, I said that. I mean, he's implying things politically and taking some steps that are like, you should chill out a little bit. Your your ego's really big right now. So now that I've got a few of you, no, I'm just kidding. I think we're all on the same page on this. We can see it unfolding. And others will continue to do it. Others will take a full-on full religious perspective. They'll, they'll, they'll declare themselves to be. This guy by the name of Soros has taken that position. There's a few others that have, have thought themselves to be that. Some of them haven't said it, but they, they carry that way. And many in the religious circles have said it. So we, it's nothing new, right? The thing to remember, some of these things we look at are like, we're even, we'll see here in a minute, where it speaks, well, let's just read it. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. You're going to see, like birth pains, these um, earthquakes and famines and pestilences and various natural disasters, so to speak. They've been happening since before the resurrection, and they're happening after. So they're not a rock-solid one to say, well, because we're seeing earthquakes, Jesus is returning. That, That would not be an accurate declaration. But you can say, and you can see, the earthquakes, the famines, the wars, and the rumors of wars are increasing in intensity and in frequency, which would be like birth pains. So now we're seeing more and more of these things unfolding. People will say, I'm the Christ. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. Don't, don't be troubled. The thing about prophecy, it's not meant to scare you. It's meant to prepare you. It helps you to like, okay, this is what's happening. It actually has a very calming yet disturbing effect. Calming in the soul 
and disturbing a little bit to the mind because we're trying to figure out, well, when's this going to happen and what should I do for that? And should I get a generator and a bigger pantry? What should I do? You know, and all these things that are just natural. Trust me, you won't need a generator in the rapture. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be some more solar from the sun, so to speak. So, um, verse 7, when we read that, oh no, verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. That is not unique to this generation, correct? If you know history, since, oh, I don't know, just after the Garden of Eden, roughly you might want to, you could start even at the Tower of Babel and come this way. There's just this, this dynamic has been taking place. There will be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Now notice in verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. And you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. That has happened historically across different continents in different places. It, it rises and falls. There will be an a increase of the work of the Spirit, a, a Christian presence, a, a born-again Christians in a culture that will impact and change that culture, sometimes for one or two generations. And then sometimes there's this drop-off. You, you can study history and see that, and then that particular country, you know, it, it can do this kind of number. But we are seeing something very interesting now. We're seeing a greater persecution percentage-wise. It wouldn't work numerically because there's more people on the planet. So if you counted more, it wouldn't really convey an increase in, in, in persecution. But percentage-wise, it's just actually increasing. And it's not something you can measure in, the, in the numerics. Like, well, how many times do we see it on mainstream media? <sighs> like, that matters. How, how else do you find out? How do you get it reported? But, you know, those who, like the voice of the martyrs, and there, there's other people that, that are aware of, of the reality and the struggles of the persecuted church, know that in, in China, uh, many different countries, you know, literally hundreds of thousands of people die for their faith. And, and there's this intent, it's increasing in intensity. It says they'll deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Verse 10, and many, then many will be offended, will betray one another, and we'll hate one another. And I didn't see it till just now, but I don't know that that applies, that people are getting offended in our culture for any reason. That wouldn't really have a bearing, uh, wouldn't be a sign. But honestly, I, you can't, it's just shocking to me how people can have a voice because you differ for them, from them. And because you differ, you're an offense to them. And because you're offended, you offended them, that's criminal behavior towards them. That's a form of abuse, actually, in some circles. And you've got to scratch your head and go, are you kidding me? Now, obviously, this is speaking of many, you know, the religious persecution. They will hate one another. That happened. That was happening you know, in the first century of the church. We see it more and more, though. Um, Christians fighting, arguing. You see it with, within smaller circles, um, betraying one another, hating one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. That's, that's happening regularly. Um, I believe um, the tools of the day, the advancements, if you, if you pick up maybe to see this major change, I believe historically was the Industrial Revolution. It pulled people from agrarian, from, from farms and different things, and there was this opportunity to go to the city and make money. And it was a, it was a shift in, in, in just human lifestyle. Well, since then, we've had many, many more shifts, and now we're at this point of, of the, the information age, where the form of video, it was radio first. Some of you may have remembered your parents gathering around the radio, or maybe they told you about it, or a couple of you may have done it. <laughs> Before TV, it was, a, it was a key thing. And Kim and I have talked about that a lot recently, how this this tool, it's just a tool. I don't believe it's good or bad. The content is not the flow, the tool. It's what you're choosing. So here we have this from radio to television. And the next significant transition was through what we would call the World Wide Web originally, and now we know as the Internet. And so what we have now is we have these false prophets. Everybody can have the platform, and everybody can persuade and mislead. And, and quite honestly, it's, it's challenging for many people 
who maybe they're shut in. Maybe they're dealing with situations with some just some personality challenges and some, some challenges in social settings. And so they, they choose to be at home and they choose to just catch teaching and, and look, watch certain things. And, 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 and there's so much bad teaching now, so much false teaching. Probably, you know, obviously now and then the purpose is to rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You have to guard against this one. Why would we grow cold? Because lawlessness abounds. People get away with stuff they shouldn't get away with. There's literally lawlessness. Uh, 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 the seed in the garden for anarchy is among us. Because there's just, you know, you know, you've heard it. Since 2020, we've seen it. Defund the police and all these different silly, not even silly, they're demonic and devious activity. And, and it creates lawlessness. You know, we know what kind of happens. So, because lawlessness will grow, the love of many will grow cold. Don't let that lawlessness cause you to become too critical of those type of people. Rather, just say, Lord, but may I not be cold. But, verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. That's not salvation, meaning if you don't endure, you lose your salvation. I, I believe it, it really, there's, there's definitely a, a part where it's speaking of you endure, you break through. You know, he who pushes through, I think of like sometimes Rich and others, we've hiked or whatever, and you get through the brush pocket, you endure, you get beyond the trial. You're kind of, sounds odd, but you're saved from it. You're past it. And so those who endure, you're going you're gonna to see this. And this gospel, it says in verse 14, of the kingdom will be preached to all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. Some have said, as soon as the gospel reaches all the geographic regions, all the world, then the Lord will return. But but just hold up just a second. Let's not use a continental or geographic border type of approach. Because So it reaches Africa and finally gets all the way through Africa, but then there's a whole new generation in Asia that hasn't heard it. So it's not the dirt, right? It's the people. So it, it's not meant to be a measure. Okay, now he can come. I, I heard it as a young Christian. As soon as the gospel gets to all the boundaries of the world, then the Lord will return. And that, that's really not the emphasis, not that what is being said. You know, it really is would be a witness. It's going to go to all the nation, all all the world. So I want to now go from Matthew. Let's go over to Luke in Luke chapter 17. It's a parallel passage, if you would. We're going to look at what we see. So from there, you can tell we, we looked at some things or picked up on a few things that will be. That's what the last days will look like. In Luke 17, as I say, a parallel, we can pick up in verse 22 because some Pharisees had come trying to press Jesus and, and really kind of put him in a corner. But then he directed his attention to his disciples which is interesting because the Pharisees came not wanting to know the truth, but seeking to trap. And he just didn't play their game. He just kind of not going there. Verse 22, Then he said to the disciples, The days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, Look here or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. So once again, this, this false calling, this, this uh, deceptive you know, draw to, hey, this is the Messiah. Here he is. He's over there. And it's because part of it would be vulnerable because we, we long to see the days of the Son of Man. I believe every Christian who has a sense of of God's presence in their life and has experienced his forgiveness and they know the grace that's, that they've received and they're, they're born again. They understand what they've been forgiven of, at least a glimpse of it. They long for justice. We long for this wrong world to be turned right and, and fixed. We long to see the day when he will return. And so that's a healthy thing to long for it. But we're going to see also you know, as we look into Peter here towards the end, we, we know his timing's perfect. 
We know his time. I know his timing is perfect in his return. And when that last person that he knows who it is will commit their life to him and be snatched from the grip of darkness and brought into his glorious light, whoever that person is, when that happens, we're out. He'll take us home. Until that moment, we we would not want to. We would not want to leave early. Correct. I'm glad people weren't. God wasn't answering people's prayers in 1987 because in 1987 people were praying come lord jesus come let's get out of this place let us go home usher in the next season but i wasn't a christian yet so you guys you know if you're doing that you're trying to keep me out of heaven just kidding (laughs) do you see the timing's perfect there's people in this room right now they're glad we're very glad that, that jesus didn't come two three four five years ago because we were not in the family. We were not born again yet. Or didn't, we hadn't received this gift of life. So, as we look at this, we see, let me catch where I'm at here. Um, the days will come when you desire to be, to see the days of the Son of Man. They will say to you, look here, look there. Verse 24. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. I believe this is conveying when when someone's saying, Look there, look there. Oh, there he is there. This is the Messiah there. He's like, he's saying this. Lightning that flashes out of one part of he- under heaven and shines to the other part. You don't go, Was that a was that was that a, like a bug? What is what do you do? That was lightning, dude. It lit the place up. He's saying, you don't have to wonder and guess, did I miss the Messiah? Did Jesus already come? As sure as lightning that flashes across the dark sky is vivid and identifiable, when he comes, you'll know. 25, but first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. We understand the chronology, right? He's speaking, of course, prior to the cross. He's speaking about what's to come. And so they're not even seeing that. They're, they're curious about the coming age. We know from other texts that the, the disciples were following him, but they really didn't get this sense of who he is. He was a good teacher. He, he taught as one who believed it, which means he spoke with authority, with conviction, with clarity. He associated himself. He declared himself to be the son of the father, the great I am. So he's making these distinctions that he is God. But they're still seeing him eye to eye as the carpenter's kid. And so they're working this out. Now he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suffer many things and be, and, and be rejected by this generation. Verse 26, and so it was in the days of Noah. So it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives. They were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And all the flood came and destroyed them all. So, from right here, initially, we can look and see, it'll be the same as in the days of Noah. So what was happening in Noah? You know, what did, what did, what did Noah do? He, he, was, he liked boats, I'm thinking. You know, well, maybe not. Maybe just like houseboats, so to speak, for big boats, like an ark boat. God had commissioned him, instructed him to do something that no no one had ever thought of or done. And he didn't even know why. It wasn't a lake nearby, basically. So here he goes about by faith, but you know that the people mocked him. And they, they, they just, you know, really ridiculed him. But they also ate, drank, married. They just went on about life. Even though he had made this clarion call, he declared, and it was visual before them, something's going on over there. But they just went on about life as normal, just like what we see in our world. People who do not yet know the the love of Christ sometimes speak evil of him or carry on like anybody who talks about him or has this religious crutch to carry them through life because they're weak and secure people. You know, they, they don't need that. Yet it's obvious and evident before them that, that something's happening. They ate, they drank, they just carried on. Let's let's look over in. Well, I'll just we'll just bring up Genesis chapter six. You can study that on your own. Dig into it. You'll see a little more. But in Genesis six verse five, 
Speaking of the times of Noah, then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's behind us. That's, that's Old Testament stuff. But we're told in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, I believe, there's nothing new under the sun. Although that was happening then, and God did judge the world, judge them for that, we see it repeated in the heart of man. We see it even today, do we not? Is it possible today that the wickedness of man is great on the earth in all the different forms and variations? That every intent of the thoughts of the heart is only one goal. Evil, continually. Evil, wickedness, um, it, it, it's that which is contrary to God. Sometimes we think something is, is, is uh, somehow graduated or somehow uh, progressive, ladder type stuff. Well, this wouldn't go, this wouldn't be as bad as evil. It's just, you know, bad intentions. And then up here you have this really bad sin. And this is, ooh, this is really, you know, this is like devil, red suit, tail, and pitchfork evil. Well, guess what? Anything that's contrary to the will of God is in the same category. And when it starts going where people just, you know, because this is what I think we see in our world right now. A really, a lot of moderately nice, okay kind of good people that are going to go to hell because they think they're good enough. They don't believe that they're as bad as other people. So it's evil to even think that. Because the moderate, okay person that's the middle class, middle of society, only a middle level, not even a pro center, just a middle center, an amateur center, they mock the cross and they don't even realize it. Because by saying I'm not as bad as that person, you're saying I don't have to go by through the cross. There's this back alley I can get into heaven through. And, and no, they don't think of that, right? Roman thinks you're you're saying that Jesus didn't need to die for sins. He only needed to die for bad sins. And it's a mockery of the cross. It's evil. But we don't really think of that as evil as somebody who's murdering and destroying and killing and brutal. But everything is every thought and intent of his heart was only evil at the time in the days of Noah. Why do we care about the days of Noah? Well, because it was said, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will also be in these days, in the days that we will be ultimately living in. Um, Verse 28 there in uh, Luke 17, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. You can do your research on that one in Genesis 19. But you probably, I can just give you a quick overview of the story because two angels come into the city of Sodom and a man by the name of Lot, relative of Abraham's, is there. And as they come in, he invites them to his house and they're like, no, we'll stay in the open court tonight, no big deal. And he's like, no. I'm a, I want to be hospitable. I want you to stay with me. Interesting thing, Lot positioned himself in the culture that he was in a very compromised place because he was a ruler, one who would decide and engage and judge within the city. These two guys come in. He knows how messed up the city is, but he's okay with living in that city. He gets him to stay in his house. The men of the city, all of the men, young and old, it says, Come and say, we want those two guys that just came here, that we may know them carnally. They, they, they really were going to sexually assault them. And that was why, and, and, and Lot says one of the most creepy things in Scripture. You can't, I can't, no, they're my guests, but I have two daughters, you can have them. That's why I find creepy. I, I don't understand some cultural things, but that's not cultural, that's just creepy. And so they don't take them, but the angels literally have to blind the men. And the men are so set on perversion that in their blindness, they, they are just still trying to find the door handle to get in to get these people. It, it's just really messed up. And God says, listen, I'm, I'm done with this one. This group, 
I'm done here. You need to get out of the city. The angel's telling him you got to go. He's like, man, I'm not a, I'm not a, I'm a metro man. I'm a city boy. I do not want to be in the hills. And so like, he goes, go to Zoar then. You can go here. And so there, he's to leave and he has to. And so he leaves really with his wife and his two daughters. The rest of his family doesn't even want to be a part of it. And he leaves. And so we know what happens. She looks back longing for the life, longing for what she's having to leave. And, and we're literally told she's turned into a, a pillar of salt. What's that got to do with this? Lot, you know, as in the days of Lot, everybody was just okay with perversion. Lot wasn't, but he was compromised, I believe. He, he, he chose that place. If you remember the story back with Abraham, he actually picked the best for himself. And he didn't really end up with the best, of course. Lot was compromised. The people were pressing in. They tolerated him. They were okay with an okay person until he didn't give them what they wanted. It's going to be that way with Christians. There, people will tolerate us. They have for a long time. But the tolerance has changed. You can be a Christian. You can be a spiritually-minded person. You can follow God until you mention the name Jesus Christ. It's got so, I mean, this is not a persecution thing. This is a weird thing. But even like uh, this one, uh, I think he's for the Texans, C.J. Stroud, the quarterback, gives glory and credit to Jesus Christ after a win. And NBC literally edited that part, edited it out, literally took it out, and then left the whole thing there, the rest of the, 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 the interview. Like, that's okay. Well, they wouldn't have, anything else there, they wouldn't even have considered. He could have said, my Nike shoes make me faster. I can run faster like when I was five and got new shoes. My Nike shoes are why we won the game. And they'd be like, go Nike, woo, swoosh. But when he mentions the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's not just him. This is just one that's recent, of course, you know, taking place. And so we're going to see it more and more when we stand for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We've already seen it. We'll see it even more. We're going to be pushed aside. And it's just literally what I said. In those days, in the days like Lot, you know, it says in verse 29, on that day the Lot went out of Sodom. It rained fire and brimstone and destroyed them all. So even so, I'm reading in verse 30, even so, it will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. I believe from here, verse uh, um. 30 to 33, I'll just continue on and catch that. Verse 31, and that day he was on the housetop and his goods are in the house. Let him not come down to take them away. Likewise, the one who's in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it and whoever loses his life will preserve it. Verses 31 to 33, I think, are meant to be an exhortation to you and me. Don't long for this life. Watch. Be ready for the return of our Lord. Don't get drawn into the financial accounts or the American dream or the retirement or the vacation. Those things are fine. They're okay to have. Just don't let them have you. It's a big difference to where you can, okay, I'll I'll be aware of it. But, you know, we should be longing and choosing and reminding ourselves, you know, because it says in that day, you know, on the housetop, and you like you hear the trumpet, like, oh my God, he'll get my gold. So you want to run down in the house, and he's like, no, you just don't go looking for the things of this life, the things of this world. Verse thirty-four. I tell you, in that night there will be two men in one bed. The one will be taken, and the other will be left. Two women will be grinding together. The one will be taken, and the other left. Two men will be in the field. The one will be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. I believe picking up there in verse 34 through 36 speaks of the moment of the rapture. You have probably heard of the Left Behind series, talking about those who do not have a relationship with Christ. They are left behind when those who are born again, born of the Spirit, what we know to be the church, is in a twinkling of an eye, an instantaneous moment, they are removed from this planet, and others are left behind. One could be sleeping, another in the same room, same bed, whatever, and 
they're gone. Same thing, working, you, you see the thing. Moment of the rapture. Verse 37 is kind of interesting, isn't it, at first glance? So they answered and said to him, where, Lord? And I wonder, I was kind of wonder, why didn't they say when? Why where? You know, and I wonder if they were thinking isolated, like maybe just if you're in the perimeter of the, the constraints, boundaries of Jerusalem or maybe Israel. But notice what he says. Wherever the body is, there the eagles will be gathered together. It's just an obvious thing. Eagles are scavengers. You find a carcass, you'll find some eagles. We'll, we'll pretend like they're not bald eagles, you know, some other kind of lesser eagle or whatever. But so when there's this, that will be there. When these things are happening, this will be there. When this happens, this will be there as well. So the moment of the rapture. What are some other things that we can see? Now, we've, I believe just in reading through this, you know, we know this to speak of from um, really after the, uh, well, some of what we've seen tonight is even before the resurrection because of, his, of what he's going to endure. But we know it speaks of primarily, I believe, from the, from the ascension to even our present time. And in the last days, you're going to see an acceleration and an increasing intensity, which is kind of what we're seeing, of these particular things. There's some comparisons in history. We've looked at that. Let's go now to 1 Timothy chapter 4. And let's look at uh, some other things that are we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 4. We'll look at three verses here. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, speaking of the Holy Spirit, Now the Spirit expressly says that in, the, in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Verse 2, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry, and commanding to abstain from foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Did you ever think that you would be alive and hearing the heavy promotion, a scientific, uh, so to speak, a scientific support of man-made meat and and not cattle or chicken or whatever? I, I still am just like, okay... When do we see the April Fools? When do, when do we get the, the punchline? Can you, you've heard of it, right? The big push is that we won't eat the food made by God. We will make our own food by God. It's like, are you kidding me? You're not God. You can't make, you know. It's like, I've never understood it anyway. Because there's just a weird thing. I, just give, cut me some slack here. Why do they make tofu burgers? Why don't they make them something else? Why do they try to make it a burger? It's not a burger. It's vegetables that are squished in to look like a burger. Call, do some, make it a star. Don't make it a round patty. Make it a, make it a, a veggie star and put it, be, you know, it's interesting how it is. I, I, I got a weird mind. I know. It's just, uh, I look at this, we're trying to assimilate. There's no correlation between, well, actually, maybe there is. But anyway, tofu is not meat. That's my Calvin and Hobbes statement of the day. You can write it down and make a bumper sticker. Tofu is not meat. I would eat tofu before I'll eat man-made meat. I'll eat about any mashed up veggie with spices on it before I'll eat a Zuckerberger. You know what I'm saying? It's like there's just no way I'm going to buy into all this stuff. But look what it says. There'll be a time when people will forbid to abstain from food. They'll forbid to marry. We're in a time that marriage is looked at as a religious ceremony. It's not seen as a gift from the creator. It's not seen with parameters that are best for the participants. A design that brings about the best for the people involved. It's just a tax option. It's just this or it's just that. And, and, you know, why do you have to do it? And, you know, you say, you know what I'm talking about. They even forbid to marry. I'm backing up to verse 2, speaking lies in hypocrisy. We have a, a, a puppet in the presidency right now who speaks about our national security being so strong while he's speaking of the southern border. That's as dumb as they come. 
You just can't, you can't make this up. How can you hypocritically say it's strong when millions have come over when the trackable reality is they're enemies of our country from other nations that have sworn to eliminate Israel and to eliminate America. You've got those that are, you know, economically enemies, China. You got all these things that just get to come in naturally, just flow in, give them a cell phone and a hotel. And, and then say we're secure. It's hypocritical. You, it, it's, it's, and it's not politics. We can call it politics, but it's just, it's, it's just speaking lies and hypocrisy. They're having their own conscience seared as with a hot iron. Probably not very many of you here. But when you brand a cow, there's a bit of a different kind of sizzle on the beef. You know what I mean? Um, it just, it, and, and, and what it does is it, it, you know what happens, it burns and sears. And you know what happens, of course, if you, when something is seared as with a hot iron, it, it, it's not pliable anymore. If you've ever had a burn that, that particular area of your skin, if it's a bad burn, you know, it, it's, doesn't, it just, it's not the same. It's stiff and rigid. And it, when something, your conscience is seared as with a hot iron, you're not going back to the way it used to be. When that is happening, this is basically saying this is how it is. And so let's move over because I think we're seeing a little bit. Let's just keep over to Second Timothy chapter three. Second Timothy chapter three, verse one. Know this that in the last days perilous times will come. That's a new King James translation. Perilous times. It, it, re, it could read this way. In the last days, times of stress will come. We are living in the most stressful time in, his, in human history. In a time when we have more conveniences, more contraptions, more comfort, but we also have more depression. We have more suicide across the ages, sadly far more in the younger ages, uh, teen and preteen, than ever historically has happened. We are living in times of stress, and that really is what makes it perilous. Because there's a loss of identity, a loss of purpose, a confusion about, you know, just all different things. In the last days, perilous times will come. And here's some of the contributing factors. Men will be lovers of themselves more concerned about personal gain than holiness. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. Don't be engulfed. Don't be, maybe even to the degree Lot was. Don't be drawn into that. But let's look at that. We don't need to go over that list. I think it's very self-evident. It's the age we live in. Now, you could say accurately, Dan, that is a little bit of Garden of Eden when they left stuff. That's a little Cain and Abel kind of thing going on right there. Yes, it is. It really is. Cain and Abel was the beginning of religion. Man choosing to offer what he wanted to offer to God, expecting God to receive what he offered. Or there was the opposite of Abel. Abel offered what God, requ- what, what, what God had presented to them, how, what an offering would be. So you could say, well, it's been happening all along, but we would also have to be, if we're truthful, agree this dynamic, this relational engagement, this characteristic and you know deficit in human relationships is increasing in frequency as well as intensity. It's far more intense and far more frequent now than it ever has been. You can look at a lot of different things that are contributing factors, but you can't blame them. I've already mentioned uh, technology, and, and we see the, the, the increase more recently in what we call social media, which is very unsocial, quite honestly. It's very destructive. It's very uh, self-based. It's very, I mean, you look at some of these things, you know, um, lovers of themselves, that describes a great portion of, of social media, regardless of which platform you're looking at. So 
We know this is where we live. We know this is what's going on. We'll move over just a little bit to chapter 4 in Second uh, Timothy. Beginning in verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. According to their own ear, own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. We likewise are living in a time when you know, people are at, at a rapid pace. No organization, no denomination, no non-denomination is immune to this. Calvary's, of course, are included. People are departing from the, the clear foundations of, of Christianity. The simple truth of Scripture. And they're departing. They're, they're promoting and presenting man-made theories, things that are new because people want new. They have itching ears. It's like, oh, man, you got anything new for me? Oh, yeah, as a matter of fact, I do. Because we know Jesus addressed it. It's Men tend to go to the traditions of men at the expense of the word of God, is what Jesus said to his, to his disciples. It wasn't in that context, but it's addressing uh, indignance and arrogance with the Jewish leaders at that time. They were appealing and protecting the traditions of men. In other words, these new things of men that had come along at the expense of the word of God, this clear truth of God, which is obviously where you and I live right now. Hopefully you caught that first part. Preach the word. Declare the truth. Be ready in season and out of season. Why should we do that? Because it's going to get worse. Isn't that backwards? Well, no, if we do it, then people will respond to it and we'll, we'll subvert and we'll prevent this moral decay and this downward cycle of humanity. No, you won't. Well, then why should we do it? Because there's one soul here and another soul there that needs to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why we do it. I don't buy into this silliness and this foolish notion that somehow through the efforts of, of Christians, we can alter the plan of God and change the course of, of the morality and the, the depravity of this world, and we can build it back better. And we can make it great again. And we can do all these wonderful things. No, you can't. You're not, they're not compelled to do I'm not trying to do that. I just want to be, you just want to be obedient. And he says, preach the word, be ready, in season, out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort, with all long suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they won't listen to you. And natural logic says what? Why talk about it? If they're not going to listen, well... Maybe when you get to heaven, you can talk to Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who spent his entire life with almost no, no visible, tangible results, but he was obedient. What do we do since we're living in the last days? I don't think it's, I'm not, I'm not spinning it. I'm not trying to make it look, don't you think we're here? Don't you make, we're, you, you make your own conclusions. But what do we do now that we're living in the last days? Watch, be ready. Those are the words of Jesus his exhortation. Let's wrap up our time in a read-through of Second Peter chapter 3. And I really am going to just read through this because there's nothing I need to say. It's already been framed. So let's read through together. Second Peter chapter 3. Beloved, I now write to you this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminders, that you be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Verse 5. For this, they willfully forget, that's dumb on purpose, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. 
But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Verse 8, But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Verse 14, Therefore, beloved, look forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, without spot and blameless, and consider the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, in, as also in all his epistles, speaking in some of them these things in which are, are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do all the rest of Scripture. You, therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware lest you fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, would you remind us, would you prompt us, would you encourage us? We know you will, for you're a good, good father. And you will give us that attentiveness, that alertness. You simply tell us to watch and be ready. What do we watch for? you. What do we look to? We look to you. Knowing that these things will come to pass, would you direct us and show us how we're to live in this age and this day? To have a sense of urgency and yet a sense of calmness. To have a sense of persistence and perseverance, but yet peace. That we could live in a way that would honor you. Oh God, may that be our desire. May it be the result that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of you. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, to you be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen.